Hello and welcome to The Runtime. I'm your host, Raphael Kennedy, and this is the podcast where we go deep into software design. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce my guest, David Lueke, the author of Feathers, a Node.js backend framework that focuses on quickly developing real-time web applications. Welcome, David, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thanks for having me. So before we actually get started, could you give us an overview of what Feathers is? Totally. So um, Feathers is basically uh, a framework for JavaScript and TypeScript right now uh, to build uh, real-time applications and web APIs. And it works uh, on the back end with Note and uh, soon uh, working on Dino right now too. Uh, with any database, so you can use it with a lot of different databases. There's a couple of them are already integrated. And on the front end uh, with uh, React Native, the browser and browser systems like Electron and uh, any other REST API client. And it has an overarching like setup and architecture and that you can use on both sides to structure your applications and create your APIs. Yeah, so where would you say this fits into the ecosystem of web application frameworks compared to things like Rails or Express that people may have in mind? Yeah, so it is fully compatible with Express and in the new version also Core, which is the standard uh, new base framework. But in reality, you don't really have to worry about the underlying web framework too much because what Feathers tries to do is for you to abstract all the gluing, all the uh, plumbing that you'd have to do in a lot of the other web frameworks where you have to worry about, I have to create this route and uh, post user, get users. You have to do these things over and over again. Uh, one of the goals was to make sure that you don't have to write and worry about that boilerplate all the time. Instead of just generating it, why not have the framework take care of that? And uh, there's a lot of really beautiful other things that you then can get from that architecture, from that abstraction, uh, where you don't have to worry about at all anymore about how your, your API is being accessed, how the client is connecting. And then you can do the same thing on the client. The other additional feature here is also the, the real-time events. Uh, so a lot of a lot of web frameworks right now, real-time functionality was always like an afterthought, even the ones that are considered modern right now. Are like, oh yeah, and then you can also just send some events. And there isn't many or any still uh, that I'm aware of that create have like an overall approach on this is how you build your API. And if you do it that way, you also get real-time functionality out of it. When we talk about real-time, um, just to be clear, we're sort of talking about WebSocket functionality? Yes, so uh, WebSocket, but any kind of protocol essentially that uh, allows you to also get push notifications, to get notifications pushed from the server. So with traditional HTTP, you make a request, you get a response. And if you need to listen to any changes, you make a request, every second and see if it changed versus real time where the server can explicitly let you know when something happened. Excellent. Yeah. So that is kind of the main, been the main goal of it and, and also the differentiation. So what I was uh, going to mention there was um, it, when it came out, it got compared to Meteor very uh, a lot or uh, Firebase, which is 
uh, to me always has been funny because media had like at that point in time, $65 million in funding. Um, so, you know, it's like it, the web development world is an interesting space where a, f a, a framework, a few people have written in their free time has to like compete or be compared to something that has like millions of dollars of funding or got bought by the most valuable tech company in the world. So I'm now at the point where I'm saying like a lot of those uh, comparisons aren't really fair <laughs> anymore. So I I'd like it to stand more for itself. But I think the real-time aspect is definitely an, an important part and something that even, you know, new developments in the web space are not really um, like diving into as much as I think they could. It's always like an afterthought. You're like, oh, yeah, and then you just send some events. And the problem with that is if you don't include it in your architecture, it becomes quite complicated, especially making sure you send it to the right users and um, separating like different protocols that you're using because one is making the changes, the other one only gets the, the updates. So you have two connections per, per a client. So there's a lot of things that are difficult that everybody now is running into that that Feathers has addressed in like an architectural way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one of the things that you've pointed out is that these real-time connections are are sort of first-class citizens. Um, and there's an abstraction over both the traditional REST interfaces and socket connections. Um, so in many ways in Feathers, those can be treated as more or less equivalent equivalent interfaces. That's that's a great point. And that was also what was important that you basically can pick the protocol that is most applicable and the ideal protocol for your uh, use case. And you don't have to rewrite your entire application. So uh, that's one of the things that I think is pretty powerful. If say, there's a lot of discussion right now, which framework is the fastest? Well. With Feathers, you can replace the HTTP uh, connection with a WebSocket connection, and it is four times as fast. So it's not just a marginal, like, this framework is 10% faster. It's 400% faster to just replace an HTTP with a WebSocket connection for some cases. And that is what that architecture of abstracting it is going to help. So... Uh, and there is going to be other protocols in the future. Uh, one that I'm pretty excited about is doing peer-to-peer -peer stuff. So, you know, we're going to be moving past just handling HTTP requests uh, to the point of actually doing peer-to-peer -peer communication or sockets or like more next generation kind of things. So looking forward to that. So this let's call it protocol independence. This definitely seems like one of the, the overarching design considerations. Were there others? What were your primary North Stars in terms of, of designing Feathers? I think what you said with the protocol independence that came initially from the research that I was doing in university, uh, because at that time that was I started writing front-end JavaScript apps uh, and that was just when the iPhone came out and I was like, oh, you get to separate those backend and frontend things. Um, cause at that time it was all just server rendered. Uh, if you separate them, you have a separate API and, uh, then 
you can everybody can use that and can make it accessible to other developers. And the other uh, design decision there was the architecture of saying what are the two core concepts that uh, we can use to uh, architect your app without having to worry of how do I have to make routes and handle this request or parse this header, uh, but instead be like, okay, I need something to, I have a user service that needs to do certain things, which is usually CRUD because, you know, that's what computers do. They read, update, delete, and return data. Um, and, and then with those uh, patterns, being able to bring them all together to uh, write your application in that very specific, very focused way once uh, you have it all set together. So with services, that is your, your basically your API surface that you want to expose or at least have other users use internally. And uh, the hooks are workflows that you can create around uh, those service functionality. So things that don't necessarily belong into a service, like if you create a user, you, the service would store the user in a database, but the workflow would be sending a welcome email, say, hey, user, welcome to my app. Uh, those are the workflows that you can abstract. But both of those, you can, if you make them protocol independent, instead of having to make your own HTTP requests or faking out something, you can just test them like a normal JavaScript object or class. So testability is like a great thing too. Um, so the architecture and the protocol independent thing were definitely the, the important parts there. And I think if there is a good architecture, the things like performance and flexibility just happen almost automatically because uh, you can then build everything around that and um, say even for you know performance, well, if you make it protocol independent, you can swap out the framework like I have done in like the current version that I'm working on. And you get a big performance boost without having to change anything else in your app. And just to be clear, when you say swap out the framework, you mean swap out Express for Koa or something like that? Correct. So um, you can basically use it with uh, just Socket.io so you don't have any REST JSON endpoints or anything. You can use it with Express, which is always, that's where it all came from as a drop-in replacement for Express. Uh, with the added features of services and hooks. And the new one is Core, which is interesting because um, you can use HTTP2, you can, uh, you have like a more modern middleware flow. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Uh, the last one would be using no framework, just using the node HTTP module. Been thinking about that, but then uh, Dino came around, which is a, a TypeScript alternative runtime to Node.js. And uh, it turned out that that was much more worthwhile starting and like HTTP integration on the low level for Dino because it actually is faster than it, like Node itself. So um, I'm looking forward to like exploring that side a little bit too. Excellent. So you mentioned sort of the two central concepts being services and hooks. Do you mind talking a little bit about your decision to use services as a central abstraction? 
And did you find that people had difficulty moving to that concept from something like MVC that they may have been more familiar with? Yeah, I think this is a this is a really interesting question because I, that is still one of the big challenges. And it's always nice to see when it clicks, but often it doesn't. It's like, oh, I just want to do what I'm used to, but have it be faster or use TypeScript decorators so that it looks like the Spring framework that I used 15 years ago in Java. Um, so basically just small potential improvements using like new language features versus really thinking of what, what are the ways we can really like think differently about, uh, creating APIs. And that definitely has been a, a, a challenge and probably still is, um, all, even though the services itself, uh, the service layer has been a part of, uh, like design pattern literature for a long time. Uh, just what we talked about earlier, being able to write your service in the interface of your programming language and then being able to test it and having developers look, this is my API surface instead of having to like dig through HTTP requests or something is, is quite powerful already. And um, then letting the framework take care of how to turn that into an API is for me what frameworks should do, right? They shouldn't just make it easier to do all the things that have been done for the whole time with different language features or maybe a little faster, but actually make them go away, like completely. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So we've hinted at one potential trade-off is this, um, you know, a shift in the mental model that you have to, to take coming into Feathers. Were there other trade-offs that you encountered with the way that this was designed? I like that question because the basic concepts held up and are still holding up pretty well. And it's been, you know, seven years already. It's always nice to see that when a new uh, language feature or something came around, it's like, oh, promises. Well, now my my things or my service is looking much nicer. Uh, so so that was always nice to see. Um, the the, the trade-off... Uh, one of the big ones wasn't necessarily, I don't think, technical. It's more been like how to get the word out and uh, a visibility with uh, when the players in the space, and that has changed over the last couple of years too, are the largest tech corporations in the world and, and other companies that have like billions of dollars in marketing funding. How do you bring your point across? And it's always been like a big big challenge uh, for me, also for, for the community, not people have been doing some really great projects. There's one I talk often about, they build React hooks integration for feathers. So you basically get real-time user interfaces automatically that just, that just happen, which is super powerful, but hasn't got nearly as much attention as I feel it deserves. Uh, so uh, one of the things I'm working on but I think that was probably the biggest trade-off is figuring out how do you keep something like this alive while still making a living? Because uh, that has always been a, a, a struggle with, with open source. And it's getting more prominent now, but it, it, we're still not there and get it, finding the, the right way to balance all of that out. Yeah, uh, that, that makes sense for sure. Um... Were there technical components of that 
the so I spoke with um, Ryan Carniato of Solid, and one of the things that he talked about was um, making the explicit decision to use um, React-like syntax that people would be familiar with as sort of a decision to help facilitate adoption. Was that was that something you thought about as you were trying to to balance your vision of this architecture? and your desire to try and spread the word as quickly as you could? The initial idea was to uh, have it be a drop-in replacement for Express. So mm -hmm. you could just replace your Express uh, call with a Feathers call and, and everything would still literally work exactly the same and you could start registering services. Uh, it turns out that that actually wasn't as valuable as... Uh, thought so it, it always got noted as a feature but the reality was that nobody really made use of that very much and sometimes it's it's difficult to actually say that because with open source you don't have a lot of insight into how people use your thing until something breaks and somebody complains uh that's the only time when you hear about that but uh, the other one was that I have more data on is, for example, for flexibility, offering more flexibility for um, there's a socket IO integration and a Primus integration. Primus is uh, like a abstraction of different WebSocket libraries. And 99% of every Feathers user is using the socket IO integration. And the overhead for a maintainer to keep another module alive, updated, tested, and compatible was now at the point that I said, yeah, I'm sorry, but I don't like, it's not worth the effort to continue maintaining that. So it's always been uh, interesting to just have to like drop integrations or projects. RethinkDB was another example. People got super excited when they got like funding and everybody started using it. And then it, it blew up and, you know, it was actually a lot of work writing that adapter that nobody's using anymore. Um, so, so that's definitely, that's definitely a challenge on balancing that out. And one of the ways to kind of deal with that for me is to limit the external dependencies and the adoption of new things, like how quickly you do it. So wait for the initial hype cycle to be over to see if it's actually something that's gonna uh, stick around and become something useful. It was almost the same for me with the, the TypeScript integration because I always felt just tacking on types is not gonna help. So I'm really happy with this like new approach for the newer version of actually making the typings useful. So being able to define your data model and getting like TypeScript types out of that and not having to rewrite everything in TypeScript as well. So when you change, say, a username, like email property, uh, you have to change it in five different places because it's been spread all over everywhere. Uh, that was a pain that I wanted to alleviate, much like Feathers initially was trying to alleviate the whole point of writing all the CRUD boilerplate that, that you have to put up. Um, I hope... I hope that was an answer to your question. I was like a little, little bit making a little bit of roundabout, but. No, that's fine. Um, 
So can you talk about some design decisions? Um, you talked about the, you know, support for Primus. I think you, you maybe preempted this question a bit that, that supporting Primus over, over time became something that wasn't worth doing. Um, were there other design decisions you made that ended up being counterproductive or difficult? There's one that I brought up before that I think is uh, also controversial because it's also one of the things that people like the most, and mm. that is the database adapters. Um, they were initially in the framework and then got pulled out but uh, into their own projects. But uh, what I learned over time is that when you provide something that is, you know, you type in a couple of commands and then you have your API up and running. Uh, it turned out that there was a threshold on actually then somebody taking the time to learn how it all fits together. So instead of having to write your own service, you got this all pre-made and people are like, okay, so how do I do all the things? Uh, well, it's all in the docs, it's in the guide. But uh, because you got up and running so quickly, there was not a motive, not enough of motivation to to learn all like the, the um, basic underlying concepts, and um, and or the ORM. That is another problem. So I've heard a few times that I'm like, oh yeah, your framework is like terrible. Uh, I can't do this, and uh, then you ask what ORM people are using and they're like, oh, it's SQLize. And then you look up how to do it in SQLize and it turns out that it actually is very painful in SQLize, not, not in feathers. So uh, I think that has been a challenge of providing that convenience is like great, but a, was, a, was a great and a bad idea at the same time, because instead of everybody having to write their own queries uh, and just understanding the two core framework concepts, now you get something that's working, but you don't really right away understand how it all fits together. And you have to learn two things. So separating out the ORMs and the database access was helpful, but most people that, especially when they just start, have to learn two things, like or three, express, feathers, and an ORM. So it can be a little daunting, especially when, when you're coming to feathers, you like, uh, there's an assumption that you already kind of know Express or that you know what the ORM you're choosing can do. But because it's so easy to get get up and running, that's not always the case. Yeah. And, and also the Feathers framework ends up inheriting the limitations of Mongoose and the Feathers Mongoose adapter and you gather these layers of peripheral code that sometimes has quirks or I don't want to get too specific necessarily, but there are well-known quirks and intricacies with Mongoose, for instance, which is a, a, a MongoDB um, ODM. Absolutely. So this is interesting because now it's always been at the point with if we have schema definitions in as part of core in the next version do you even still need mongoose because all the things that it offers are now a part of um, that high level schema definition uh, idea and then you just drop mongodb underneath and, and you get everything you need uh, probably even faster and with less you know 
um, of the legacy and and sequelize any orm is is the same and there's new ones coming out all the time and some of them are doing uh great work but it's such a complex topic that eventually you always end up uh with some kind of quirk yeah so can you talk a little bit about how that decision happened um sort of deciding what code ended up being in the feathers core and what was pushed into the sort of the library of standard hooks or the database adapters or that sort of peripheral code? Yeah, I think to an extent it's been, uh, it's how, how open source works. People get excited and want to um, contribute, which is awesome. But uh, if you've been around for a longer time, you also know that people change jobs and you know life changes. So you can't always fully rely on everybody being there all the time to keep um, maintaining it. There are a few projects where it's working uh, really well, but there's also, I mean, what was it? 80 or 90% of all NPM modules are essentially not maintained, haven't had a new release in the past year or something. Um, so this is a really, really common uh, open source problem and maybe even more so a JavaScript ecosystem problem that uh, projects are not actively maintained and when you everybody comes bringing their ideas in and you just add everything it it, it becomes pretty unwieldy uh, just because you have to uh, like review everything it has to be documented it has to be tested uh, it has to fit into the overall like documentation all the links have to be updated also, new versions have to be um, made, and uh, th that just adds up to a, a very large amount. So uh, part of it has been to separate out as many things as possible, but there are some things that, that just need to still be in the core, which is basically the framework integrations, because otherwise you couldn't write a server. Um, and and the, the core authentication system, I would have loved to not have OAuth in there, but you know it's basically a necessity uh, and and that was that was it and it's always easy to add more things the problem is you add it and when you want to take it something out again it's a major breaking change versus just deprecating an, an ecosystem module especially for a lot of ecosystem modules there was often alternatives uh, that that work much better or that were consolidating some functionality so uh, it's it's definitely always a process, and um, uh, but I think subscribing to that idea that the core framework shouldn't do everything is is pretty pretty important um, to stay flexible, to stay sane. Uh, but it also makes it more difficult for uh, users because they have to piece some things together themselves, and it worked kind of for Express because there's now so many educational resources, but. Uh, it, it that's still a challenge sometimes letting people know where they can look to piece some of those parts together or where you just have to end up doing it yourself um, a good example is uh, permissions if you understand how hooks work it's usually two lines of code but people like looking for a module that does that so um, it's partly also education uh, not providing a module for everything but saying like okay these things you can do like this very easily 
with all the flexibility in the world without having to pull in another project, reading the docs, learning how it works. Did you find that sort of relying on ecosystem modules to provide that functionality made it, let's say, were there limitations to how much you could enforce the the sort of common functionality within within the adapters or things like that? And were, did you have solutions to those problems? For the adapter, it was um, fairly straightforward in just providing a, a test harness and say, like, if it passes these tests, um, you can integrate it. And one thing I'm excited for, like, the upcoming version is uh, one huge challenge um, was the uh, generator maintaining the generator and the CLI tool, which also was one of the challenges with the ecosystem, uh, because there was a couple of different versions and people got confused which one was which, and one did things differently. So uh, one thing I'm looking forward to for this one is that now, if you provide your own, like if you create your own plugin or adapter, it can come with its own generator template, so people can just say like. Mm. Feathers generate, and then the name of the module or plugin that that you want to integrate, and it, it does that for you. And if you uh, changed your layout, because that was another big problem, if people changed their app, the generators would stop working because they were assuming a certain code structure. So now you can actually eject every template and into your um, project, and then modify the templates to what you need, because. Uh, yeah, I think like generators are the most ungrateful open source tool to maintain. Uh, if you look at Create React App, it's it's a massive project. It needs the resources of Facebook to even function. So um, like listening to every request, be like, I want this code style, I want this. And also you should like do this it is not good for, um, for your sanity, I guess, <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Um, uh, but we have, I think that approach, it's a, the generator is called Hygen. Uh, it's a, it's a really good project and, uh, it basically enforces people to create the templates locally to their app. So if you change how a service is generated, you always get the same one if you want to create a new one. So that's pretty exciting. Um, so the, it may also help to avoid the giving the impression to users that you know, a certain set of adapters is, you know, blessed. And, or uh, uh, conventions, because all of these are basically conventions. Um, a, a friend of mine kept telling me the story when um, he was working with somebody and uh, was looking at the code and it was a feathers integration. And he's like, I don't I don't understand, like this, this code doesn't make any sense. And the other colleague was like, no, no, but this is how the generator does it. This is how it's done. And he's like, you know, we know Dave, we should just call him. And then he called me and he's like, hey, what, what does this do? And I was like, I don't know, I was in a hurry. I had to just get this in there. Uh, so, you know, not really take, there is a recommended structure, but all I'm trying is to make it as simple as possible uh, and as little code as possible. Uh, from the beginning, and that doesn't mean that it's the only one or the right one. Like, there are so many different ways, which is why I'm really looking forward to being able to customize and share share those templates. Yeah. Um, and so you've you've alluded a lot to um, some things that are coming down the pike with the uh, TypeScript rewrite and changes to the changes to the generator. 
you alluded to something involving schemas. Um, but is there anything else that's uh, that's something big that's coming soon for feathers? Uh, yeah, so I can give a little bit of a summary of that. So on on the on the version like new release side, there was a pre-release already. A couple of people upgraded already, which is always super helpful because often people ask us like, when is the new version coming out? It's like when it's when it's ready. And when is it ready? Well, when somebody tried it and told me what's breaking. Yeah. Um, uh, so t there, yeah, there was a, a TypeScript rewrite because there was you know always challenges in adjusting that and there's a lot of things that got improved there from um like making the uh types more consistent to uh customizing your like configuration um types uh the that goes hand in hand with with the schema stuff because it's basically a, an approach for using json schema to um generate every like thing you need underneath just like feathers does with the crud services to generate all the things that you need, like a open API spec, GraphQL types if you want them, database schema, right? Like all of those things can be deferred from the same from the same core schema. And I've, there's a really cool project that also infers TypeScript types from a JSON schema. So you just give it the JSON schema, and it gives you the up-to-date type. Pretty cool. So bringing all of those together so that you don't have to write your data model like in five different places. It's pretty powerful, pretty excited about that. Uh, it also has like resolvers, so you can resolve like sub associations and things like that. Um, and not a, not a huge project actually, it's just bringing a couple of things together. Uh, the CLI, like I mentioned, uh, brings all of that together in a more flexible way. And a um, couple of other like smaller newer features, uh, but a lot of it is still backwards compatible. It's just gonna look different if you generate a new one because there's a new uh, concept for hooks that, that work uh, a little different uh, as a middleware style kind of thing. Uh, so you can, um, it, it's all more, much more consolidated, much more in one place. Uh, so you look at your service file and you know exactly what's happening. And uh, the last one was, it gotten to the point where people asked me for, um, commercial support and there was some companies that did it that unfortunately didn't make it through through the year uh, of the pandemic so uh i finally was like okay this has gotten to the point where i have to either uh create some kind of commercial entity behind it for me to justify putting the work in or uh like put it into maintenance mode so i i created a, a business behind it that's not taking any venture funding for now. Uh, I want to basically just use that entity as uh, enabling the, the community uh, for uh, exposure, like I've mentioned earlier, but also for me to have a, a place where I can justify like continuing development and providing things that, that are just don't make sense as an open source project. Um, I'm still looking at options like what could you do for for hosting? Because one of the one of the challenges right now with hosting is people say like, "Hey, I built my chat app. It's pretty cool. Uh, how do I run it?" And you're like, "Well, you gotta learn Kubernetes. You gotta sign up for AWS and click through the console and spend like five days to get it up and running." Because that's where we're at with DevOps right now. Uh, or you pay fifty bucks a month for Heroku uh, to get it up and running. And and the question asking that question like, is there a way of a middle ground? where you can 
get this like nicely integrated and up and running quickly while supporting the development of an open source project, not just as a donation, but actually as getting something useful out of, out of it. So that, that was some of the things I'm, I'm looking at, but, um, hoping to get this all kind of put together at, at one point, uh, We'll, we'll see where it goes, because uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, doing uh, open source long-term and sustainably hasn't been an easy easy path. And uh, that's why people tend to burn out, because they're like, this is so much work, especially when you get more adoption, uh, and I'm not getting much out of it. And, you know, GitHub sponsors and donations are like one good way in that direction, but it's not enough to uh, keep a project afloat. So you gotta have some some other ideas and things uh, to explore there, but that also makes it possible for me to uh, put the time and work in to get all those. I always sometimes it's a little daunting because I'm like, oh, this new version is pretty pretty ambitious, but uh, I think it's gonna be worth it because there's a couple of things that are coming together in in the way that I'd like to see it come together. So I'm looking forward to getting this all out. So I don't think you've explicitly mentioned it your company is yes it's called a, a featherstout cloud and it's just a landing page right now so it doesn't do much um but like i said one avenue is is uh, for me to just offer consulting services which is what i started doing just to um, get it all going but then also having uh the ability to uh, to help people get their apps online because it shouldn't, A, shouldn't be that complicated, and B, it shouldn't just be three companies doing it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so how can people get involved in a way that is that is helpful? Um, you can go, uh, so always good to get started. Uh, go to the website, go through the guide, and then one thing that is super helpful is to go to the migration guide, which is, uh, the new docs are up and mostly up to date or as well. Go through the migration guide and then try the new version out and see if you run into any problems. Um, and it was really nice that people already started helping upgrading some of the uh, dependent pro ecosystem projects to, to the newer versions or giving feedback of what worked and what didn't work. So, so that was that that is always super helpful uh, when there is a good issue report even. I tried like this and I was hoping this would happen, but this happened instead. So that that is always good. Um, also trying to like make sure to have more uh, coming up at, around the release time to have more uh, regular events, like even blog posts again, is always so difficult. Sometimes every, every for years now, it's like, I'm gonna, we're gonna write more blog posts and then write like five blog posts in two months and then everybody gets busy again. So just being able to schedule and plan some of those things a little better, I think will will help. But um, yeah, it would always be good for people to, you know, give feedback and, and try things out. And um, if you have ideas, definitely uh, share those as well. They might not all make it always in, but sometimes often ideas were like things like, oh, I wish I could do this. And it turned out that the problem was actually that doing it was really hard um it wasn't a feature that was necessary but it was being able to uh, make that feature happen yourself was too difficult so just improving and and uh, iterating over that is, is pretty helpful 
And what are some other projects that you that you love or find interesting? So, yeah, I mentioned a couple of times already. So Dino is uh, like new TypeScript based runtime. And um, it's been it felt like it had a little bit of a slow start. But uh, when I because I've been doing the TypeScript rewrite anyway, so okay, I want to make this the core system work with this as well which um which mm-hmm. happened so so like that that is working already um and then uh i tried it out and i ran the ci and ci with npm and node takes like five minutes it's not super long but you know takes time so i ran like a bunch of like not all the tests but a bunch of tests on on dino and it was like 14 seconds i was like oh i think i get why this is interesting because the big selling point there is that you basically load your modules for from urls so and because it is secure by default you can basically just host your own like mini apps and uh one of the things that i want to try with some of the deployment stuff is basically you can just you have a dino instance running somewhere on a server just a tiny instance and you can just say run this URL, like from GitHub or anything. Like you push your thing to GitHub and then you just say, okay, now run it on this server. And it's up and running. You don't need to do any container, uh, like container builds. You don't need to do any npm install, like none of those. And because it's secure, uh, so you don't get access to like the file system and all those things, it runs like fairly, fairly safe too. And that kind of blew my mind and was like, this is actually much more powerful than we're all thinking right now, because that makes it possible to really have like those mini functions that are running truly independent because a lot of the serverless stuff right now, it's like proprietary software, right? It only runs on like Amazon, Microsoft or Google. But with this, you can create like your own truly serverless uh, system and just say, okay, now run this file. Uh, I want to combine that with a bunch of the uh, decentralized web stuff, um, specifically IPFS, which has unique hashes for every file that exists. Um, so you can you get like safety mechanisms with that as well. But you basically just tell it like, run this file now, and it takes like half a second to pull down the file and restart the server, which is super powerful. So I'm looking forward to some of that, and then. Uh, the other project that I mentioned here is, is IPFS and uh, friends here from Vancouver at Fission.Codes. Uh, they're doing a lot of decentralized web stuff. And that is something I'm pretty excited about as well. Basically, they're creating a personal Dropbox that runs in the browser that is encrypted and that you can give other people uh, permission to, but it's not hosted at any uh, centralized service. And uh you people can build apps on top of your personal data if you give them permission. So there's some, I think in, in five years, things are going to look quite different. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of also excited about the fact that like Feathers as the architecture, like we talked about earlier, is still going to, can still be used in that context. So you say like, oh, well, I don't have a server running anymore. I just gather all my data from all my friends directly from their phones. Uh, you still got to build an app and architect it, right? So you just swap out the HTTP layer and replace it with a peer-to-peer layer. So pretty, pretty exciting stuff coming up for that. It's always incredibly gratifying when something 
you've built can flex to accommodate a, a new circumstance. I think that's a, that's a that's a really good point because I enjoyed that that part of like not making it like making it like the square fit into the round, but be like, well, there's a lot of experience in how to run the project to all the technical decisions. We shouldn't just throw them throw them away. <laughs> uh, you know, there's value there, um, and seeing of how and where that could fit is is pretty pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I think the next couple of years are uh, going to be exciting aside from a lot of the things that, that the web community is like talking about right now. I think there's quietly something happening that is uh, about as exciting as like building like the server client apps like 12 years ago when I got into it. Excellent. Well, I hope, I hope that you're right. <laughs> um, I think that probably brings us to the end of the episode. Um, do you have anything else of yours that you would like to promote? Oh, that's a good question. No, just go to feathersjs.com. Uh, check out uh, the website. There is a new one in the works. That's also exciting. Um, it got a like mascot and everything, so that's that's gonna be gonna be fun. Uh, and uh, stay tuned for for the for the new version. It might still be a couple months, but uh, it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be a interesting one. At least I feel. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. Uh, links to the things that you mentioned will be in the show notes. Have a wonderful day. Well, that wraps it up for this week on The Runtime. I remain your host, Raphael Kennedy. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and, if possible, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps to spread the word. If you have thoughts, feedback, or ideas of folks that I should interview for the show, please reach out either via email at raphael at runtimepodcast.com or on Twitter at podcastruntime. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>